Amen. Well, good morning, Hope. There's no contest for his kingdom, amen? No challenge for his throne. All his saints sing hallelujah. Do we sing hallelujah? Until heaven is our home. We declare all praise and power. It is yours, God, yours alone. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you, uh, Hope uh, Music, I guess, for, uh, for blessing us with that. Um, I got two problems. Uh, if I start to cry, the first problem is it's just so good to be back. It's so good to see, yeah. It's so good to see so many uh, unfamiliar faces. It's so good to see so many familiar faces. The second problem is I went to the Chris Shipley School of Wet Preaching, and so um, I get emotional as well. Just before I get started, I need to, Brooke, Melissa. So this is, this is the uh, awkward turtle. Apparently it's a, a greeting from like 2009 that people used to do, and then the awkward beaver. Anyway, so I love you guys, good to see you. So good to be back, thanks for having us back. Um, and you heard a little bit of the background there. Um, it's been such a great blessing, just serving and learning and growing here, building so many deep uh, and lasting relationships over these past 10 years before God led us to Cambridge. Uh, God has really used this church uh, for Kelly and I. God's really used uh, Ted and Lindsay and Chris and Lisa and Jameson and Taylor, uh, Roy and Carrie. I mean, I can go on and on. Marvin and Kim and the Unruhs and the Jillards and on and on and on uh, to build into us, to shepherd us, to equip us. And so we're so thankful to the Lord, so thankful for his faithfulness to this church and through this church. So Father, Son, Spirit, thank you for what you've done at Harvest Brampton slash Hope Mississauga and for the men and women, Lord, that you've raised up here. And so much has happened in the last three years uh, since, we, since we left. The world has been through an absolute ton. Polarizing racial tension, political scandal after political scandal, civil unrest, We've been through a pandemic when it comes to our health. It seems that we've been through and are going through a pandemic when it comes to abuses of various kinds, sexual abuse in Hollywood, on hockey teams, in our military, in various levels of government. And we've got this supply chain issue, apparently, that's driving inflation, or part of it at least, because of the pandemic. There's all this mental health and physical health, all of these issues that are cropping up. So far to my knowledge, nobody has done an inventory of the, the mental toll that the pandemic and all of these other things have taken on us. We've even seen war and are witnessing war right now. So the question is, how can we live with confidence in a world that is in such chaos? Isn't that the question on most of our hearts and minds? How, and not, not just how can we live in a, it with confidence, but how can we live with great confidence in a world of such great chaos? 
And so in keeping with the uh, Summer in the Psalms theme, we're gonna look at Psalm 27. And I'll just invite you to open your copy of God's Word now and, and get ready, and we'll look at that. Thank you, Taylor, for reading that. And as we look at this, we're gonna see one thing, one thing that we need to be devoted to, one thing that we need to be committed to, one thing that is worthy of all of our attention, all of our hearts, all of our lives, all of our thinking, all of our doing, we're gonna see one thing that will enable us to live with confidence in this world and, and more importantly, live with confidence through this world into the next world. And then we're gonna see four things that we can do that will help us to cultivate and nurture our desire for that one thing and our efforts for that one thing. So let me just... Pray before we get started. We have such need of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have such need of you. We have such need of you. There is nothing certain in this world. Lord Jesus, thank you for overcoming the world. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening our eyes to these things. We ask now that as we open your word, Lord God, we ask that you would speak. We need to hear you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would further open our eyes. We need to see Jesus. And would you plow up the soil of our hearts that we would receive your word, that it would fall like seed on good soil, that it would be rooted and that it would spring up and that it would grow and that it would produce fruit in our lives. 40 and 60 and 100 fold, would you make us a fruitful people? We have such need of you, we freely acknowledge that. We also recognize that you are on the throne. And so we come boldly because you've invited us, because you've commanded us, because you've made a way. We come boldly to your throne of grace for help now in time of great need. Speak to us now. Say what you want to say. We pray these things in Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. So I remember being a very little boy at Marineland. I was probably four or five years old. And I was so enthralled by all of the creatures that were there. I was looking at the orcas and I was looking at the belugas and I was looking at dolphins and looking at all these fish and all these tanks and it was crazy. It was just color and uh, fascination all over the place. And then it slowly began to dawn on me that I needed my parents. And so I stepped to the side and grabbed the leg of my mom, but it didn't smell right. <laughs> and the voice I heard that said, oh, hi. And I looked up, I'm like, oh, you're not mom. So then I backed the other way and I grabbed the leg of my dad, same deal, nope, not dad. And slowly again, I began to realize that I was alone. 
And I started to lose confidence. And all of the people that were saying, oh, I'm sorry, are you lost? Can I help you? I didn't want to receive any of the help because I didn't have confidence that it was going to be the right help. It felt like there were strangers all around me. And the great king of Israel, David, in Psalm 27, he expresses that there are probably quite literally enemies all around him, and he makes this startling claim. If we just read verses one through three, we're not sure much about the context of this psalm. We're not sure the situation that David is writing of here, but he says in verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David makes this absolutely startling claim. He's got evildoers all around him. He's got adversaries and foes and they're, they're, they're assailing him. They're likened to ravening beasts. They want to devour his flesh. It's like there's this army encamped against him. Imagine that. You wake up one morning and there's an army outside your door and their purpose is to get you. Many in the world right now know that feeling. And there's these, and we see later on in verse 12, there are these false witnesses that are breathing out violence against him. And, and yet he says, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And then he says, yet I will be confident. How? How? How can David make those claims? How can David say those things? We sing those things. I scare myself in the mirror in the morning. How can we live without fear? He says, the Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is the light that chases away the darkness so that he does, he's not sitting there imagining where the threats are. He can actually see he can see the lay of the land. The Lord is his salvation. He rescues and saves from what is actually there, and the Lord is his stronghold. The Lord protects him. The army can't get in because he's safe and secure in this stronghold. And then David makes one of the most single-minded statements of purpose in the Old Testament. Look at verse four. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, one thing. With all of this arrayed against him, he's concerned about one thing. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, and this is what it is, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire at his temple. David knows he needs God. His confidence is in Yahweh, so he goes after God with a single-minded purpose. Brothers and sisters, in order to live with confidence in the world, a world that's gone completely nuts, a world that has gone wild, you and I must go after God. To live with confidence in the world, you and I must what? Go after God. We must go after God. How many of you have ever had the experience of not being able to find your keys? You're scrambling around because keys represent something to you. Keys promise you something. They promise you freedom. 
They promise you the ability to follow through on an obligation. They promise you the ability to go and get things that you need to live. That's what the keys represent. That's why we, that's why we freak out when we can't find the keys. And we turn the house upside down looking for the keys and maybe we'll, maybe we'll raise our voices to those who are around us. Where are my keys? Where are my keys? And we realize that they're in our hands. So we run, we run out the door and go, oh shoot, my sunglasses. And where are they? Right? The keys promise us things and we have in our lives all kinds of things that promise us confidence in a chaotic world, that promise us the ability to get the things that we desire, to get, maybe it's love and affirmation for you, maybe it's security or control. And there are things in our lives that promise that we can have those things. Maybe it's justice that we're craving, maybe it's just comfort and leisure, and there are things in our lives that are promising to deliver those things to us, things like money or other types of wealth, things like careers, things like relationships, education, maybe health and fitness, or maybe, maybe just fame or success. What is that one thing that you are devoting yourself to because you believe that it is the key to the greatest treasure? What is that one thing? That's the thing that actually takes up most time in your calendar. That's the thing that occupies the most space in your mind. That's the thing that fills up your television screens and your computer screens. What is that one thing that you are devoting yourself to? See, David's one thing was the presence of the Lord. Look at verse four again. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David is seeking the presence of Yahweh, the presence of the God who created everything. Are you? Am I? And please receive that we're all sitting under God's word. This has been so deeply convicting to me. So David's looking for this one thing that he would dwell in the house of the Lord. It's one thing that he seeks after. You know, in, in the Bible, there's a phrase that's used when people turn to other gods and it's seeking after other gods. To seek after something is to commit oneself to those things. It's to be devoted to those things. And David wants to be devoted to the Lord. He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Look at verse four, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's not necessarily an essential beauty or a physical beauty, but the goodness of God. And we're gonna see that in a second here. And then also to inquire at his, te his temple. And then David goes on in verses five and six and he describes some of God's beauty, some of the goodness of God, some of the things that make God light and salvation and stronghold. Look at verse five. He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. Why? For he will hide me in his shelter, verse five, in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David is pursuing 
the presence of the Lord because God does some things. When we come into his presence, yielded, submitted, God does some things. It says here in verse five that God will hide in his shelter. Enemies can't find you when you're hidden. He'll be con- he will conceal me under his tent. Enemies can't get us when we're concealed. It says he will lift me high upon a rock and my head will be lifted up above my enemies and I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. How many of you are dying for joy, to experience joy? How many in the world are craving joy? You know why? Because we were created for joy. We were created for joy. But there are so many things that promise joy and cannot actually deliver joy. So the goodness of God that we see in verse five and six is his protection and then, and then his prosperity, which means honor or, or vindication, where we're lifted up in the presence of our enemies. So dwelling in God's presence means enjoying God's goodness. Dwelling in God's presence means enjoying God's goodness. And then David goes on and makes some inquiries. Remember, so in verse four, he wants to gaze on the beauty of the Lord or the goodness of the Lord, and then he wants to inquire in his temple. So then the next section, verses seven through 12, David makes some inquiries of the Lord, and he asks some things. Look at verse seven. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer answer me. So David's seeking his face, the Lord's face, because he wants God to hear him and he wants God to answer him. And in order for God to hear, he's gotta be present. In order for God to answer, he's gotta be present. And so David wants the presence of the Lord because he wants to be heard. He wants God to answer. Then he says, don't hide. Hide not your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Don't cast me off in verse nine. Don't forsake me. And then in verse 12, he says, don't give me up to adversaries. So God, David is pleading for God's rescue. He's pleading for God's presence. In the midst of chaos, David inquires of God for his presence. He's not inquiring of God to give him presence with a T-S at the end like Christmas time. He's inquiring of God to give him his presence, his very self, This idea of longing to dwell in the house of the Lord is actually a marriage picture. And it's something that's somewhat obscured for us today because, well, even marriage is in question today. But the picture is this. And it was illustrated so beautifully earlier in the summer. There was some good friends of ours. They, They got married and I was speaking to the young lady before they got married. She said, Jay, you know what, honestly, I just wanna go and live with him. I wanna live in his house And in the time in which David is writing, what that meant for a bride-to-be was that she would go and she she would live in a place that was prepared for her by the groom. And she would live under his protection. And she would live in his prosperity. And that's the picture here. David is longing to dwell in the house of the Lord. He's longing to be united to God forever, to be under his protection to be honored by him, to receive the joy from him. 
and the intimacy that goes along with that type of relationship. And then in verse 13, there's this closing statement of faith. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then in verse 14, there's an exhortation to be strong and courageous, to wait for the Lord to bring it all to pass. So here's the question. What are you most devoted to seeking for confidence and peace? What are you gazing at because you believe it to be the ultimate good? What are you inquiring after for peace and for rest? And what are you waiting for? Is it economic security? Is it political security? Those things are really easily adopted. Those things can sidetrack us very easily. Is it social status? When these things become ultimate things, we have problems in the world. The problems that we've experienced, the problems, the things that we've been through are because of an improper devotion to these things. Or are you devoted to God himself? See, God is light. God is salvation. God is the stronghold. God sees. God knows. God has the power to save. In his presence are goodness and mercy. So go after God. That's the one thing that we truly need is God himself. But then, but then I find myself asking the question, well, how? How do I do that when my loved ones are sick? How do I devote myself to the Lord and pursuing God when bills need to be paid? How? how? I can't think of anything except possibly losing a car or a house or losing a family. When I'm so depressed, I can barely get out of bed. How do I think about God? How do I pursue God? How do I come into his presence? How do I dwell in his house when anxiety torments me every waking moment? How? So now we're gonna see four things that help us to get there, that help us to, to properly prioritize. Four things that help us to seek after God, to go after God, to be in his presence. So here's the first thing. Ready? You guys ready? Are you ready? Okay, so here's the first thing. So we've got that one thing, God's presence. And here's, and here's the first thing that will help us get there. Look at verse four again. So David's going, one thing I've asked the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my, li my life, to gaze upon the beauty or goodness of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we must gaze on the goodness of God. And I wanna just talk to you real quick about the anatomy. You guys ready for this? I wanna talk to you really quickly about the anatomy of feeling. Okay, and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to Matthew 6. So if you've got, just flip over, stick your finger in, in Psalm 27, jump over to Matthew 6. The anatomy of feeling, because, because we're so motivated by feelings. We're so motivated to get out from under discomfort in our culture today, right? We're so motivated to move toward culture, we, uh, comfort. We don't wanna do anything that's hard. We're run by our feelings. And Disney teaches us that, doesn't it? Right? Disney teaches us to go after that stuff. 
but our feelings actually hinge on gaze, okay? So watch this, ready? All right, so Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. So Jesus says this, this is Jesus speaking, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where leaves, thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you catch that? We should be like, er, wait a minute, what? You mean where your heart is, there your treasure will be also, right? That's Disney. No, Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on and he starts going like something really bizarre about the eye. I always think to myself, Jesus, why did you change, why did you change topics like mid-thought? But he doesn't. The eye is the lamp of the body, verse 22. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What Jesus is saying here is, you ready for this? You actually determine what you treasure. You don't look inside and find out what you treasure by what your heart tells you or what your emotions tell you. That's actually the back of the train. It starts with your gaze. What are you staring at? If you're staring at something that's putting light into your body, then you have light in yourself. If you're staring at something that is darkness, then you're putting darkness in, and then, and then what ends up happening? When you, when you stare at something, when you gaze at something, that's actually investment. You don't realize it because it's something that's happening subconsciously, but it's investment, and what you invest in becomes your treasure. Do you see that? So what we gaze at, we're training, treasuring, and then what we treasure, our emotions come and wrap themselves around that thing. And then when we say, oh my goodness, that wasn't a good thing to treasure, it's so hard to pull away from it because our emotions are wrapped around it and we feel like we're ripping part of ourselves off. That's the anatomy of feeling. Jesus said so. Verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That word is mammon, it means wealth. We cannot serve God and the things of this world. Cannot. And so we need to choose very carefully what we gaze at. Gaze is a focused and exclusive visual effort either with the eyes or the eyes of the mind. What are you gazing at? I've been looking for a truck lately. I'm just like, okay, all right, Ford, Chevy, Ram. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I found just this past week? I'm like, oh man, I just love trucks. You know what else? I really love the new ones best. They're so nice. I'm gazing at trucks and I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm starting to treasure trucks. When I, was in, when I was in business in the early years, I've only been doing the pastoral thing for the last three and a half years. I was in business for a long time. I was taught to build these vision boards. You know what a vision board is? Something to stare at. I had boats up there. I had nice houses, timber frame, 5,000 acres in Montana. <laughs> then it got stupid. I had planes up there. I'm like, 
I'm gonna fly a helicopter. And I started to treasure these things. And I became intensely self-focused. What are you gazing at? Are you gazing at a lifestyle? What's filling up your computer screen? What's filling up your television screen? What's filling up your inbox? What are you gazing at? Is it a person? Is it fame? What are you gazing at? So here's how we can help our gaze. Ready? So we want to gaze at God's goodness. Gaze at God's goodness. Let me hear you say it. Gaze at God's goodness. You've all experienced God's goodness. We've all experienced God's goodness. We are such a prosperous nation. A lot of the statements that we make about human rights are good statements. A lot of them are only statements that a nation bathed in luxury can make. Because we've never had to walk six, uh, six hours to get water. We have been recipients of God's goodness. Let's gaze on it. Let's take time to reflect. Get a journal. Write down all of God's goodness to you. Write it down. Take time to reflect on that. Talk about it with others. Listen to their stories of God's goodness. And you know what? Most importantly, get into God's word. Story after story after story of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's beauty are recorded there for us, which is part of God's goodness to us. Amen? Okay, here's number two. So we gaze at God's goodness because that leads to treasuring him. Here's number two. Plead for his presence. Plead for his presence. Look at verse four again. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to inquire in his temple. This inquiring is this pleading. And then verses seven through 12, remember he went through all that stuff. Here, an answer, please be near. Don't hide, don't turn away from me in anger. Forgive me in other words. Don't cast me off, don't forsake me. We, we need to recognize our need for his presence for him. And we need to plead for that. In Exodus 33, right after the golden calf and right before God's about to show Moses his, his goodness, remember he passes by and shows him his goodness? Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Man, I wish I was like that every morning leaving my house. God, if your presence will not go with me, do not let me step outside. And then he says, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct from every other people on the earth? Brothers and sisters, do you know what makes you distinct? It's not how many followers you have on Instagram. That makes me distinct. I have like none. <laughs> it's the very presence of God that makes you distinct. Amen? It's the very presence of God amongst his people and the spirit of the living God in us that makes us distinct. Our identity is rooted in him. 
And so he goes on in verse 11, says, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. He's pleading with God to have input in every aspect of his life. And we should as well. Ask. The Bible says, if you need wisdom, ask. Just ask. God gives liberally, generously to all without reproach. And then in verse 12, he says, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. In other words, God, I need rescue. Do you need rescue? Just ask. The Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace for help in times of need. Just ask. So we need to, we need to get on our faces before him and plead for his presence in every area of our lives. We have this idea that we can invite Jesus into our heart and close him off from the rest of the house. Jesus, you can have my living room, but you can't have my bedroom. You can't have my, don't go into my basement. Don't open that closet. Not in my TV room. Let's invite him into every area of our lives. Plead for his presence in everything. Pray over, pray for, pray in everything. Amen? So gaze at his goodness, plead for his presence. Here's number three. Preach his promises. Look at verse 13. Whoa, I just flipped a whole bunch of pages. Look at verse, verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Why can David make that claim? Why, why, can, he, why can he press forward in faith and say, I believe that I will look upon the Lord, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Because he's banking on his promises. Remember all those promises that, that we read about earlier when he was pleading with God, hear, answer, don't hide, et cetera, et cetera. And then before that, in verses five and six, this is, this is the God who hides us in the day of trouble, who conceals us under the cover of his tent. He will lift us up eventually Do you believe that God will protect? Do you believe that God will honor and vindicate? And do you believe that God will give you joy? Do you believe that you can have joy regardless of circumstances? Do you want joy? So we need to preach his promises. Do you know, I ask people every once in a while, who's the preacher that you listen to most? Just think, just do a mental inventory. Who's the preacher that you listen to most? For a long time, I listened to Paul Washer and John Piper, Ted Duncan. The preacher that you listen to most is yourself. Do you know that you're a preacher? Every last one of you. Preaching to yourself constantly. We're all preaching to ourselves constantly. The question is, what are you preaching? What are you preaching? See, we preach what we gaze at. Oh, I need, I need that. I need that dude. I need that girl. I need that car. I need that house. I need that lifestyle. I need that job. That's preaching. That's preaching. So we must know God's promises in order to be able to preach them. So again, here we are. Devote yourselves to God's word to pursuing God and his word. Know what he has said. Even when circumstances and people are preaching to you that God isn't real, that God has not promised anything, 
and that he can't protect you from anything, you preach the truth that you know from the word of God, that God is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, amen? You preach the truth that he draws near to the brokenhearted and that he scours the earth looking to give strong support to those whose hearts are completely his, amen? You preach the word that you know from God's word in order to live with confidence in this present chaos. So we need to what? Gaze at God's goodness. We need to what? Plead for his presence, invite him into everything. We need to preach his promises. And here's the last one. We need to trust his timing. We need to trust his timing. And you can see that in verse 14. David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That phrase, be strong, let your heart take courage, is be strong and courageous. We see that when, when Moses charges Joshua. Haven't seen anything yet. Joshua, be strong and courageous. We see that when David charges Solomon with, at the dedication of, or at the building of the temple. Solomon, you haven't seen this project completed yet. Be strong and courageous. We see that when, when Hezekiah and Israel, they're facing the Assyrian threat. And Hezekiah says to Israel, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And what that means, a lot of times, is holding fast to what we've heard from God when we don't necessarily see anything. We want God's goodness now. We want comfort now. We want rescue now. And so waiting is often the hardest part, isn't it? Waiting. Especially, here's another luxury statement, okay? A nation in luxury, you can just go get what you want most of the time. Borrow the money you want. Just go to the store, grab what you want. But we must gaze at God's goodness now we must plead and pray now. We must preach promises now because we don't always have what we want now. We gaze at God's goodness now. We plead and pray now. We preach his promises now because we must wait. And that enables us to wait. We know it's coming. We know it's coming. God sees the whole picture. God actually knows what we need. He made us. He knows what we're supposed to be. He knows what's wrong, and so he knows how to fix it. And he knows what that requires for each and every one of us. Our path to sanctification is not the same path. It can't be, because we're all different. So we must learn to wait. And waiting is about trusting. Don't reach ahead of him. It's so, it's so tempting to satisfy ourselves, to reach out, satisfy ourselves with, with money or with relationships that we shouldn't have with things that promise health, things that promise relief, things that promise goodness. But there's a catch. Those things also demand your allegiance. They demand our devotion. And so we wanna seek after the presence of God himself. Make him the one thing. Make him the one thing. And I wanna close with this. In Luke 10, there's a story of Jesus with two dear friends of his. One is a woman named Martha, the other is a woman named Mary. 
Uh, ironically, this is a story that comes right on the heels of the parable of the Good Samaritan. See, so many of us think that the Christian life is about doing stuff. So many of us think that the key, the key to peace and happiness, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna pursue wealth, I'm not gonna pursue all the other, uh, these other things, but what we, what we then do is then we pursue works. Right, like the Good Samaritan, oh, I've gotta go and take care of everybody and that'll give me fulfillment and satisfaction. And authentic Christianity is not impotent. There will be good works. But then there's the story of Jesus with Mary and Martha, and you know the story. So Martha, her heart is to entertain, her heart is to be hospitable. And so she's, she's busying herself making preparations. Jesus has come. The great teacher is here. And he's gonna want food and refreshment and his friends are gonna come, the disciples are gonna come and all these followers are gonna come and they're gonna want some food. Maybe I need to get some water ready and some towels ready to wash their feet so I can serve them. And then she notices Mary. And Mary's seated at Jesus' feet. Mary knows what's up. She's gazing at the goodness of God. Amen? And she's learning from him. She's being imparted with his character and his power and his authority. That only comes at his feet. And Martha sees that. And Martha, Martha feels injustice. And she goes and she says, Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, she's not doing anything. I'm doing all of this stuff for you. I'm getting everything ready for you and for your people. And she's not doing anything. Tell her to help me. How many of you feel like that at times? Tell her to help me. And what does Jesus say? Martha, I can just hear the compassion in his voice. Martha. You are anxious and troubled about so many things. Is he saying that to anybody? You are anxious and troubled about so many things. Ready? Ready? One thing is necessary. That's what he says. Martha, you're troubled and anxious about so many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has found the good portion and it will not be taken from her. See, Mary understood something. She understood the one thing. She knew who Jesus was. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the goodness of God, amen? Jesus is the protection that we have from the ravages of sin and the judgment that is coming. Jesus is true prosperity and Jesus will give true joy. Gaze at the goodness of God. Jesus is the goodness of God when the enemy's sin and death closed around us to devour us like ravening, ravening animals. And like, like Noah, when the waters of judgment were rising against him, he got into an ark. Loved ones, Jesus is that ark. 
When we give our lives to him, when we say, you know what, I have had enough of all of this nonsense, this dust and rot, take my life. You, you took my place on the cross. You died the death that I was supposed to die. I'm gonna give you my life. Live through me. When we do that, we enter into that ark and Jesus carries us through safely the waters of judgment. Amen? Gaze at him. And when we're in that ark, when we're in him, the Bible talks about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ all the time. And that describes the, our relationship to him when we receive the free gift that he has offered in his life and his, and his death and his resurrection. When we're in him, ready for this? Like this is too mind-blowing to even utter, but I have to. When we're in him, do you think he has fellowship with God? Do you think he, is, he has perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit as the Son? When we're in him, he ushers us into fellowship with the triune God. When was the last time you walked in light of that and just like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm going to work now in fellowship with the triune God because I'm in the Son? Is that, is that not good news? Fellowship with the triune God, being in the Son. Wow. So Jesus is the goodness of God. Gaze at him. Jesus is the presence of God to us. Amen? Jesus was named Emmanuel, God with us. And then he gives the spirit of Christ to us to dwell in us so that he can live through us and we can live in him. And Jesus is the promise of God. He is the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that was predicted from the fall in Genesis 3. The one to crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah, the Savior, and all of the other promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Amen? So Jesus is the goodness of God. Gaze at him. He is the presence of God. Let's enter into him and plead with him. Bring him into every area of our lives. He is the promise of God. Let's believe that and preach that to ourselves every day. And finally, Jesus came at the right time once to do the task that he had been given to do at that time. To live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to make payment for our sins, and then because he was sinless, he was raised up again. There is no injustice in God, amen? And then because of that, we can actually have life in him, and he is coming again at the right time. He's coming again for each and every one of us that are in him at the right time, and all we need to do is wait. We just need to wait for him. Not run ahead of him, not reach ahead of him, but just wait for him, and that means that we need to trust him. One thing is necessary. So brothers and sisters, seek after the one thing with everything that you are. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are so good and you are so great. 
We worship you. You are worthy of our worship. Lord Jesus, king of everything, you are so good and you are so great. Thank you for laying down your life of your own accord and lifting it up again for our sake. Not only do we not have to face the penalty for all of our rebellion and all of our idolatry, but you've also provided for us abundant life. Thank you. And Holy Spirit, we, we are so sorry for grieving you, for looking to other things to satisfy us. When you point to Jesus all the time as the only one who can truly satisfy. Holy Spirit, continue to point to Jesus, continue to highlight him, continue to make much of him in our eyes that we would gaze at him and treasure him and love him more and more. Help us to gaze at your goodness, Lord God. Be present with us. Drive us into your words that we can lay hold of your promises and preach them to ourselves. And help us to trust in your timing. Help us to trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We pray these things for Jesus' glory.